As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman on Monday, August 16th. Bruce, this was a big day. Do you know why? I think I know why, but why don't you, uh, why don't you fill us in? No, I'm going to pull a misdirection on you. You think I'm going to say the, the release of the AP preseason top 25, but no, more personal at home. Uh, first day of kindergarten. Oh, yeah. Very nice. So you dropped her off. Well, like, how did that go? Were you super, super emotional? My wife came with me, and she definitely got super emotional uh, as soon as she got out of the car. I was just more proud. Like, I feel like, okay, we did it. We got through the first five years. We, we got her to kindergarten, and uh, she's super confident and excited, so... I don't know. I don't know if you can relate to that. I, I just felt proud. Um, I remembered ours was two years ago. And I think, I don't know if it's because we have twins and it was two of them that it was just like, it seemed to go by pretty quick. It was like, let's get them in. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're out. Um, so I, I don't know if that, it's weird because it's, a lot's happened in those two years. And so I don't honestly, like I remember taking pictures and I remember a little bit of it, but I don't, the day that went pretty fast. That was probably your last normal first day of school, um, not, right? Because last year would have been at, at remote. And this year, you know, going to school, but she's wearing a mask and everybody's wearing masks there. And, you know, we, we aren't allowed on the campus yet. So it's not quote unquote normal just yet. Yeah. Um, our kids are not back. By the way, let me ask you something real quick. What's your, you know, the thing I, I'm most... Uh, like stressed about in the morning is how are we going to be late? Are we going to be late? So I want like the quickest possible breakfast for, for her. And lately it's become mini pancakes. What's your go-to? Oh man, this is a plug for our, our sponsor, but our go-to, especially when it comes to our daughter, they, especially she loves Trader Joe's mini pancakes. And Uh you can microwave them. It's a half a minute. Like with our son, he eats eggs and he eats a lot of them, so it's just like that's not always a you know, especially if he wants some days he wants hard boiled eggs. That's not something that you can turn around in two minutes. The mini pancakes no. are something you can turn around in two minutes. 
There you go. Head to Trader Joe's and get yours. Um, okay, like I said earlier, it is the AP Top 25. It came out just before we started. Alabama, number one, right where they left off last year. Oklahoma, which finished sixth last year, is number two. And then you go Clemson, three. Ohio State, four. Georgia, five. I can't imagine you're surprised at who those five teams are. Any bit, any uh, surprise about the order? Not really. Um, maybe, look, I, I feel like there's a lot of people, who, at least in this case, a lot of AP voters who are probably buying in on Alex Grinch and their defense, and they're certainly buying in on uh, Spencer Rattler. And, uh, you know, because if you'd look at where he was a month into the season coming off that Texas game, I'm not sure people would have been as sold. Um, but again, Clemson lost. Terrific quarterback, terrific running back, and it wasn't like their you know their defense had some question marks. So I don't know. And then you look, it's it's interesting though. Like Ohio State has a lot of guys to replace. You know, we think it's going to be C.J. Stroud as we're t- taping this podcast. I don't know about an hour ago, Ryan Day said he is getting more, more separation from the other quarterbacks. We know they have really good receivers. They have to replace a lot of guys on the defense, and the defense wasn't all that good last year. Yeah, I, I definitely have more questions about Ohio State than I do about um, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson. Granted, Alabama lost a ton too, but at this point, you just kind of expect them to reload. Um, Georgia, every time I'm ready to believe in them, something bad happens, right? They George Pickens' uh, injury in the spring, then they go and get Eric Gilbert from LSU, okay, you know, he's, he was a tight end coming into college. They're going to play more at receiver. Now they've got their receiver. And now Kirby Smart reveals uh, this weekend that he's away from the team right now dealing with personal issues. So, you know, it's already everybody has like a, I'll believe it when I see it with them. But I think I have a little more faith in Oklahoma. I do think that that's a very complete team. We did talk about uh, a couple weeks ago about is the hype getting a little bit ahead of itself with Spencer Rattler. But Again, we've seen more of him than we've seen of the guys that are going to start a quarterback for Alabama, Ohio State, and even Clemson, though I have a lot of faith in DJ. Clemson is the team that I had way down at number five coming out of the spring, but as it gets closer, I mean, I'm starting to think I'm totally wrong about that. In particular, you remember in the spring, we weren't yet sure for, it wasn't yet sure that Justin Ross would be cleared to return after missing all of last season. He is now cleared. There's pictures and highlights of him in spring. And like, I mean, Justin Ross was the star of the national title game a few years ago, all American caliber receiver. And he's eligible now, or he's cleared to return now. And their defensive line is, is absolutely loaded. Um, I don't know. I, I think I would definitely have them higher now than I did in the spring. I feel like you're already teasing and, your pick for Clemson, Georgia in the big opening weekend. I'll pick Clemson. I'll admit that. Um, what I what I don't know is am I ready to pull the trigger and say that's my national champion this year? So I think, Stu, um, we're going to leave that part there. But I, I think what is more interesting about who's number one really at this point, who's number Six. That's the one I think I was more curious to see yeah. because, as you said, I think there was a cluster of five programs who've all had a lot of consistent high-level success, right? Now, Georgia hasn't won a national title um, 
Oklahoma hasn't won a national title in a long time. Not as obviously as long as Georgia, but um, but they they've been playoff caliber teams, and even though they most of them have some degree of of quarterback questions, I would say Spencer Rattler is probably the the most proven of the five teams quarterbacks. But then after you get past that, so the AP has Texas A and M number number six. Coming off a terrific season, they were number four in the country. They have big quarterback question marks. They have to replace a bunch of their offensive line. Uh, Jimbo Fisher. Um, if you look at this list, right, uh, it's it's interesting in regard to the five teams we mentioned. Certainly, Lincoln Riley and at OU is a proven quarterback guy. Uh, Ryan Day, I believe, is now a proven quarterback guy. The other ones, uh, Tony Elliott's done a really good job, but there's been... You know, I feel like Clemson, I would kind of take off the list. Alabama has proven it, although every year or every other year, it feels like there has been a new quarterback coach for Nick Saban. And also Georgia, um, still there's some TBD on that part of it as well. Jimbo has a strong reputation of this. Is Texas A&M a clear number six for you at this point? I don't know about clear, but... I'm not surprised to see them there, and um, I'm not. I'm not six, seven, eight. Texas A&M, Iowa State, Cincinnati is pretty much how I would have it. Um, what's interesting is like Cincinnati being eight after finishing eighth last year makes total sense with Desmond Ritter back, with most of that team back. Frankly, I was a little. Chris Fanini, our Group of Five expert, with this stat kind of blew me away. Cincinnati at number eight is easily the highest for a preseason group of five team in the CFP era. Previous was Houston at number 15. Would you have, I would not have guessed that nobody, no group of five before this Cincinnati team had finished, had started higher than 15th. I would have thought for sure UCF. I would have thought for sure Boise would have been higher than 15. Nope. It shows you that, uh, I think in general, people are starting to respect the top group of five teams more than they used to. Everybody saw Cincinnati take uh, Georgia right down to the wire. Probably should have won that game, frankly, in the Peach Bowl. Um, So there's a lot of but that's even that's even weird to this degree. And this is not meant as a knock. I think people know both of us are pretty bullish on Cincinnati. I have been at least at least since last year. But Cincinnati. Um, because last year, the way it was, they didn't have a chance to play non-conference opponents. Boise State, especially when Chris Peterson there, they were beating big, big-time programs. You would have thought that they would have gotten more of a boost to crack the top 12. And they were winning well, he's, PCS Bowls. He's saying since 2014, since the oh, CFP era. I completely... Oh, there was a, the year Boise State played Virginia Tech in the opener. I think they went into that game ranked third or fourth in okay. the country. So I don't really care about this stat that much since too. Sorry. <laughs> well, it matters because... Well, thanks. Thanks. Chris Manini's really going to love hearing no, that. I, no. Uh, <laughs> Chris, if you're listening, you know I really like your work. This stat, I'm not going to get that worked up about because it's like... It's not. I think it, it's not that long range. Is my point. But I think it's relevant because if you're talking about can a group of five team make the playoff? Yes, they don't do the first rankings till uh, early November. But we know the preseason rankings matter. That they're they're not oblivious to that. And so these teams. I mean, I, these teams have had trouble finishing higher than number eight. So if Cincinnati start is starting this high and has those games against Notre Dame and Indiana. Like, that to me is a pretty good sign that they could actually make the playoff. 
Here's what I think happens or needs to happen for them. I think Cincinnati needs three big things to happen. One, they need to run the table. That's obvious. In that context, they would have beaten the double of Indiana on the road, then they have a bye week, then they have Notre Dame. But so, Notre Dame starting number nine in the preseason poll, Indiana starting number 17. Okay, those are positives. Here's the, the key part of that, though. And then they would have, we think UCF will be really good. We think SMU will be pretty good. Those would also be in that. But the third part of that, to me, is the most critical. Is, is not the most critical, but is also pivotal, which is... They can't afford to beat those teams. Then Indiana go seven and five, and Notre Dame go nine and four or something. They need Notre Dame to be a, to go out and go either eleven and one or ten and two. If Notre Dame does not win at least ten games, sorry, there you like it's unfortunate, but I think this is my read on the committee, and I I don't think I'm wrong. They do not give the benefit of the doubt to group of five teams. And so not only do they need to win this game, they need those other two teams. You like if Notre Dame goes 11 and 1, great, that gives them a win. They it really is important though that Indiana can't fall back to what you Indiana used to be. Indiana at least needs to be a top 20 team. If Indiana goes 7 and 5, um I think it's going to be really hard for them to crack the 4 at this point, even if they're even if they are uh 13 and 0. I just think they need the big help from Notre Dame and or Indiana. I agree. And 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 with that in mind, you know, I don't think we've really talked about Notre Dame in the offseason on this podcast. There's a, as you can see by them starting ninth when they ended last year number five, there's some skepticism that they can stay at that level. Over the weekend, Brian Kelly uh, announced, not no surprise, but officially announced Jack Cohn, the Wisconsin transfer, who started in the... Big Ten Championship game in the Rose Bowl two years ago is going to be Notre Dame's opening day starter when they face Florida State. Do you think, do you think that, I mean, they've made the playoff two of the last three years. Do you think they can get back there or do you feel like this is a rebuilding year? No, I think they can get back there. I don't know if I would pick them at this point. Um, I think they have really, they have terrific running backs. I think Kyron Williams is an All-American caliber player. They've been really good on the offensive line. They're going to be really good at tight end. I think there's a lot of stuff for Jack Cohen to build around. He's played a bunch um, before. They have athletes on defense. I know that, um, you know, they lost a really good coordinator, but they got a really good coordinator and Marcus Freeman coming in. I think they are a top 10 team. I just don't know... Like, is Braden Lindsay, is he going to be a, a big, big-time playmaker outside? Like, I feel like, again, and this is something I mentioned on our Big Noon Digital show the other day. The thing that I think is tr- is is tricky if you are going to be a top, if you're going to be a playoff team, you need to either have any truly elite quarterback or di- dominant difference-maker kind of guys in your defensive line. I don't know if Notre Dame has had that combination. Ian Book was was a really good college quarterback. They did not have that guy in, you know, that nasty defensive lineman that like you know, you just look at the teams that have won national titles. You have to go back to Jacob Coker probably to find a quarterback who was not really at an elite level or but they had it on the other side of the ball. You know, not to mention they surrounded him with really good skill guys. 
um, to me, that's the part where I know you're not just talking about like whether Notre Dame can actually win a playoff game. You're talking about are they can have a chance to get back. I think they have a chance, but I just think that I don't know if Jack Cohen can play at that level to uh, to to have them run across. And because I just think like you're going to have some games where you're going to end up the yeah. A plus game, and I just don't, I don't know consider if be able to get there. Jack Cohn to be a question because I think we've seen enough of him to know exactly what you're getting there, and it's going to be he's going to be solid, but like you said, he's not going to be the elite difference maker quarterback that you need to, frankly, to win to win a playoff game. And the, the puzzling thing, frankly, about the Brian Kelly era at Notre Dame is that he has had a lot of success. He's without question the best coach they've had since Lou Holtz, um, but. It's the, the quarterbacks have not been particularly impressive. Like if you were to compare their run of quarterbacks to, for instance, Ohio State, like Ohio State to go from uh, JT Barrett, who who I know had his his critics, but was a pretty successful college quarterback, to Dwayne Haskins to Justin Fields. Like Notre Dame hasn't had any one of those, much less three. Um, and I don't think they're going to have that this year. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, let me circle back with you on AM because I touched on it for a second. So when you look at, I remember a couple of years ago we talked about their schedule was pretty nasty the way it's set up. You know, they had Clemson, obviously. Right now it's not that way. Now they play Kent State, who's a good MAC team, but Kent State shouldn't be able to hang with them for four quarters. They play Colorado. It's it's not at in Boulder, but it's still in Colorado. That's actually a game my old, my old crew is doing week two. New Mexico, they're they're pretty shaky, and then they got Prairie View. That's their four non-conference games. Prairie View comes later, but when looking at the looking out of the gate, and Arkansas is week four. That's one of the probably weakest SEC West teams, if not that. And then they have Mississippi State, which is in uh, at A and M. There's a really good chance they're cruising zero and they're five and zero, and they're not playing anybody who's even close to a top twenty-five team. Before they play the Crimson Tide, and they have to come to, uh, they have to come to Kyle Field. It's pretty good. If you're going to get Alabama, at least you get them in the right place. Um, you're looking at the, you know, the crossover. It's just you know, sit there with with South Carolina and Missouri. It's not, it's not exactly the the you know world beaters there. Um, I could see why people, even with questionable, you know, unproven quarterback, and even you know, largely unproven offensive line, I could see why people look at them as, hey, they have a chance to be 
a top six, top eight team. Like I don't know if I, I don't think I would pick them to be a playoff team, but man, everything sets up pretty well for them. Well, they finished fourth last year, and they only lost one game, and it was Alabama. And so we know how well Jimbo Fisher is recruited. I think they have a bunch of guys on this team that are going to go very high in next year's NFL draft. It just comes down to quarterback and offensive line. I, I think there's there's of the twelve games they absolutely can win eleven of them. I just don't know that they match up with Alabama yet. And part of that is now we haven't even seen the quarterback yet to see like what kind of difference maker he can be. But it feels to me like this A and M team at least is going to be like you, you can't out Alabama. Alabama. We talked about that with with Georgia and, and Kirby Smart and. This team is built to run the ball down your throat and play good defense, which work again will work could work against eleven of the twelve teams. I think against Alabama, though, you're going to have to have big plays in the passing game. Uh, over under, do they pick a finish better than eighth? What do you like? Do you like their chances of that? Of A and M finishing better than eighth in the country. I do. Uh, I just don't know that I like finish better than to finish better than win six, the SEC yeah. West. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, I want to. There's a couple on here that just mystify me. S- tell me why I should believe that UNC, which finished 18th last year, is the number 10 team in the country now, despite losing. I know they have Sam Howell, and he's great. He may be the best quarterback. He's the pre the Athletics preseason first team quarterback. Well, that's a big that's a big piece of it with Sam Howell. He's had a lot of time in in Phil Longo's system. They do have look, Deami Brown was was the biggest playmaker outside they had. His brother, his younger brother's even faster than him. They're excited about some of the skill guys they have. Ty Chandler played pretty well at Tennessee, so it's not like he's he's never played. Uh, they feel like they're better on both lines than they were. I would agree with you. I do think this is a little higher than. Like, if you told me they were going to be 15, I'd say, yeah, I could see that. 10, I don't know. 10 seems a little high, given they lost two great running backs, two really good receivers. Um, 10 seems a little high for me. I feel like the voters are trying to will the Mac Brown uh, story into existence because he's definitely gotten that program into a much better place than before he got there, especially recruiting-wise. But it's like... They had one phenomenal win last year when they just crushed Miami. Could Miami could not stop them. But they also lost to a bad Florida State team. They finished 8 and 4. Um, they lost to Virginia. They I feel like you're really like, subtweeting Ralph Russo right now in a way because Ralph really chastised both of us, especially you for your take on Mac Brown. And now you are Ralph who's the Who's the godfather of the AP Top Twenty Five? You're pretty much bringing the garbage I, front door. Yeah, he was. Sorry, I know Ralph listens to this podcast. He was not on my mind when I was making this commentary. Like to me, Miami is the is my favorite to win that division. Um, Miami's fourteenth, by the way. That's not that low. It's not so. that low, but I would have them reverse. I guess okay. I'm saying I'd have Miami ten, UNC fourteen, something, some, somewhere around there. Can we get some quick stew takes? I'm going to b- bounce here quick. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. going to give you team. You, you tell me just right, way too high, way too low. Okay, mm-hmm. Oregon at eleven. Uh, pr- about right. Okay. Ten, eleven, somewhere around there. 
Agreed. Uh, Wisconsin at 12. Possibly a little bit low. But, you know, I know they, they didn't have a great season last year. So, so you'd have them in the top 10. Um, it's okay. I'd probably have, I'd probably have them 10. Yeah, somewhere yeah I would have them a little higher than that, too. Uh, Florida at number 13. Way too high. Way uh, too high. What is rebuild, your issue? Rebuilding year for the Gators after you lose... Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, all those receivers who were so integral to them last year. When you still have, you had such a suspect defense last year. Unless I, there's some secret I don't know about that that leads us to believe they're going to be much better on defense this year. I, I can't see them finishing that high. Can you? I, I would say a little too high. I'm not as down on them as you are. I think Emory Jones will be a really good, really good uh, fit picking up. Now, obviously, no Kyle Pitts. Um, but I still think they have enough athletes to be a top 18 team because I think Dan Mullen will get good quarterback play at Emory Jones is talented. Uh, Miami, you said you would have them a little higher. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I don't know if I would have them as high as you, but I would have them a, a little higher. Uh, USC, number 15, that is way higher than I think you've had them before, right? Yeah, I don't have them in my top 25. Uh, the coaches had them even higher than that. And I get it. Keaton Slovis is really good. Um they only lost one game last year. Granted, they only played five. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like... I feel like you're starting to buckle on this. So you're starting to re- like rethink having them not in the top 25. I think maybe having them out of the top 25 was a little too harsh in hindsight. Um, but I'll, I'll, I will stick with this. I said it in the spring. I think Utah will win that division. And the AP has USC 15 and Utah all the way down at 24. So you'd reverse it. Um, I don't know that I would have any of those Pac-12 South teams in the top 15, but I would certainly reverse the order. Okay. Um, Can I, I tell you who I think is the the, the sleeper here? Because I also because you've had, you've asked me about a bunch of teams I said were too high, so that means somebody has to be too low. The Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, they are 18. They are 18, and I think they like I've said I think Wisconsin should be in the top 10, and I think there's not much separating Wisconsin and Iowa. Man. Hawkeye fans, I don't. Know, I can't imagine they know what to do with you, Stu. It's been a long. I mean, you're you're going way back in the archives when I was down on Kirk Ferentz. He's had he's had a great run recently. Um, they do sometimes lose some games they shouldn't. That's for sure. But they also uh, win some games that I mean, I don't think anybody expected them to, to to whoop that Ohio State team the way they whooped them. Yeah, Iowa started zero and two last year, losing to Purdue twenty four twenty and Northwestern twenty one twenty, and everybody just ignored them the rest of the year and then they proceeded to win their last six games then they had unfortunately had both the michigan game and the bowl game canceled uh i think they'll be really good on both lines of scrimmage um really good in the run game um i could see them i could see them going to the big 10 title game yeah i don't think that's i don't think that's a stretch either i really don't um you know just remembering like we had a game where they beat Minnesota when Minnesota was having that terrific year and Tyler Goodson really flashed and he's one of the best running backs in the country I think and they yep. they're, they're going to be good on the offensive line um, I think they're going to be pretty good on defense as you know so they're good at all three levels I'm with you I'm with you on that on all that um, do you have a ranked way too low team a ranked way too low team um I would actually have agreed on Iowa, to be honest. Um, they would have been my one team that I would have had ranked too low. I mean, just the fact that they were 18. Um, 
You know, USC is very interesting to me. Like, Keaton Slovis was terrific his freshman year and then was kind of shaky last year. There was a bunch of stuff kind of going on around there. I don't... I think the two Drakes are, are elite players. Drake London on as a receiver. Drake Jackson as a defensive lineman. I don't know if they're good enough on defense to kind of carry. Because it's like the other thing that USC does not have. I know Keontae Ingram transferred in there and they've got a bunch of transfers. Like it's been a long time, I feel like, since USC has had a USC caliber running back. Um, I don't know if they have that, especially where like their offensive line concerns me. That's why I wouldn't have them as high as 15, but I would have them maybe around 20 or so. Like I think they were a, a little over uh, over inflated. Probably of, of all the teams I'm looking at outside of North Carolina, I think was a little too high. That's probably the one I'd say, yeah, they're probably five spots too, too high up. One last thing that really stood out to me or that really caught my eye we have talked, I feel like, several times on the offseason about Texas and some variation of, uh-oh, do you think they could start 0-2 with opening with Louisiana and Arkansas? And at some point, you, you know, we said, like, I think I said, it would really benefit Sark if Louisiana makes the top 25 and has a number in front of them. Well, not only did that happen, they're only separated by two spots. It's number 21 Texas against number 23 Louisiana Lafayette in that first game. Yeah, you know who else it really benefits? Fox, because that is a, <laughs> that is a Spencer Tillman, Tim Brando game. So, how many more viewers do you think that game gets just because there's a number in front of Louisiana Lafayette? That is a really good question. It is not an insignificant number though, because I yeah. think for a lot of people, it's different. It, like if you look at Penn State, who's two spots above Texas in this, if Penn State's ranked 19th or if they're unranked, I don't think it matters as much because it's still Penn State is a nationally known uh, entity. Louisiana Lafayette, the Rage and Cajuns simply are not that or even close to that. Like I, I think most fans who are going to watch Texas probably don't realize that, that uh, the Rage and Cajuns beat Iowa State last year. Some do, but I think by and large most people don't. And so... Um, I think some of the some of the things, and our friend Andy Staples, I don't want to jump the podcast, because I think we probably should touch on this later, but I think one of the things that he at least tweeted about, I don't know if I remember if I read it on his Twitter feed before in his story, but like, I feel like the people who either listen to this podcast or tweet incessantly about college football or really diehards, yes, they're a big chunk of... of uh, of the viewing audience, but they're not necessarily the ones that make a, make a broadcast go from a one, two to a two, eight. Like that's people who have like casual interest in it. And I feel like that's the numbers matter. I mean, they, the numbers matter from a, from a network standpoint of like what it does. I just remember, you know, like I, I said this before on this, on our show, I've never, I never paid attention to TV ranking ratings but I also knew that if like one of the teams we had just lost or just won and it affected it, I kind of like realized that was going to make a difference to how many eyeballs we get. And um, I think that's a very real thing, at least in regards to, to, to TV viewership. I'm glad you brought up TV, TV viewership, Bruce. Um, I can't believe we made it this deep into the podcast without talking about the big news that broke on The Athletic on Friday night about a possible alliance 
between the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. This is their possible response to the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma. Um, I don't think they themselves know yet what exactly that might look like, but the logical thing would be a scheduling alliance where, okay, you know, it's a, it's a, to me, it's an admission that there's no realistic schools out there that any of those conferences could add on their own that would give them a bump the way Texas and OU does to the SEC. However, if you do some sort of formal alliance where you say, hey, Fox and ESPN, uh, when you go to bid on the next Big Ten contract, or the next, we guarantee you that you're going to get at least not one, but two marquee non-conference games from Ohio State, from Michigan, from USC, from Clemson. You know, Andy went deep, deep, deep into the numbers, if you want to read that story on Monday, about how few teams you know, move the needle in terms of getting those four. He, he used the, the threshold of four million viewers. That, that Those are the kind of games TV really pays for. Um, you know, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 both have TV deals coming up very soon. And, you know, I think as much as the Big 12 fans hate to hear this, you're going to get more do- You're going to add more value by adding those glamorous non-conference games than you are by flat out inviting one of those eight Big 12 schools to your to your conference. Yeah, I look, I think the numbers, the numbers illustrate. I also think there's some of it where you just don't realize um, how these c- kind of things, you know, like I, I, we've talked about this now a lot in the last month or so, but the idea of, hey, you know, we're such and such group of five, and if you look at our TV numbers, we would be like ahead of six of the remain, you know, like six Big Twelve programs. I don't even say remaining, six or seven of the Big Twelve programs. It's like, yeah, that's nice, but that is not really relevant in a significant way to to TV executives and to TV contracts because the the numbers are so much smaller. And so, even in the context of okay, well, the Bedlam game. You know, that's consistently, I would probably imagine, a top three pick when it comes to the ESPN Fox drafts every year. Um, but it's more, honestly, it's a, it's a it's a much more Oklahoma-related thing than it is Oklahoma State, just because if you look at how the rest of the draft goes, where the Oklahoma games get picked, depending on who they, who they play versus Oklahoma State, it's just not, they're just not weighted the same. And... That is, that is just not insignificant. Now, we went to that, you know, Andy and I and you, we went to that place immediately. I don't know that the conferences themselves have gotten there yet. I think that, you know, I said to Andy, the, the reason to do an alliance is this, is what we're talking about. The reason they seem to be doing it is because they're pissed at Greg Sankey. <laughs> and then this is, this is their, their form of retaliation. And, um... And that is not the right reason to do it, in my opinion. The SEC is going to be fine. The SEC should not feel threatened by those three conferences coming together. But I feel like those conferences, and I don't blame them at all, there's this narrative right now that, the okay, now that the SEC's added those schools, they're just going to rule college football to themselves. So I don't blame them for saying, no, not so fast. Um, power in numbers is what we're hearing is the, we're hearing that, 
this is ACC driven for one thing, and that it's about power and numbers in terms of voting, legislation. Um, certainly, and I think this is the most, I think this is what's driving it more than anything, this feeling among some of the commissioners that Greg Sankey pulled a fast one on them and was simultaneously um, authoring this 12-team playoff proposal and trying to rush it through, which he may dispute, while also knowing full well he was going to get these two schools. So the three of them want to stay aligned in terms of their strategy with the playoff. And I think their strategy is um, very much about, and by the way, to the benefit of your employer possibly, we don't want ESPN to just be able to just be handed all of the best inventory in college football. If you do the contract or if you break the current contract early, you have to do it with ESPN. They would get the whole 12-team playoff to themselves. And they have the whole SEC to themselves. Whoa, 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 pump the brakes. We think this should go out to the open market and possibly result in two or more networks airing the college football playoff, just like the NFL playoffs are split among multiple networks, the NBA playoffs, and so on. Right, and this is something that a big, uh, very influential voice in college sports made a case to me about two weeks ago, which was that would behoove the people around college sports to get more uh, broadcast partners in the mix than just ESPN and Fox right now. Like what happens to CBS? Does somebody else, does somebody else with a lot of money, come in and say, "Hey, we want to be a part of this"? That would really financially um, benefit everybody involved and kind of break this up the way it is. And obviously, that wouldn't be good for ESPN. I'm not sure that it would entirely be good for Fox either. But that was what this person, who I would argue, like, was probably one of the smartest people I know in college athletics made the point and at the time I hadn't really thought of it and then since then you started to hear a little more of pump the brakes what 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 needs to happen next I mean the thing that again I go back to Matt Fortuna did a column for us probably three weeks ago just about the like I it didn't dawn on me and it wasn't out there at that point I didn't think about the Greg Sankey Bob Bowlesby you know working on this working group with um this is Craig Thompson and also Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD and the Mountain West Commissioner. All this time about the playoff. In the meanwhile, Greg Sankey is basically gutting Bob Bowlesby across the table from him. Just how that sits with the other people in the sport, whether it's Jim Phillips, the new ACC Commissioner, George Klyovkov, the new Pac-12 Commissioner, or obviously Kevin Warren from the, from the Big Ten, who's also pretty new. I just think that um, you know, I, I think that that's a really, really interesting dynamic, and, and it's more than just a subplot here. To be clear, I think everybody is on board with the format, with the 12 teams, with the six uh, automatic bids. It's the timing that there's definite um, division over. And one thing to just keep in mind, that working group that you mentioned with Sankey, Bowlesby, Swarbrick, and Thompson was formed two years ago. At that time, that was before... Kevin Warren became the Big Ten Commissioner. It was certainly before Jim Phillips and George Klyovkov became commissioners of their conferences. So you can see why they'd be like, wait, wait, wait. Uh, we didn't have a say in this, and this is a really big deal. Pump the brakes. We need to really think about this. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Stu, so this is a little bit of a, it's it's not a segue from the AP Top 25, but I thought this was interesting, and I thought it was interesting in relationship to to an argument you and I, or a discussion we've had for a lot on this this offseason. So I think you know which team had the most uh, members of our first team preseason All-America team at The Athletic. Which school had the most players on the All-American team? On the yep, on the first team. Um, probably Alabama. Probably not. Ooh, it's a team that you would say doesn't have you know doesn't have quote unquote enough talent to to be a playoff team. Tell me. It is the Iowa State Cyclones. Wow, that's got to be the Max Olson influence right there, or maybe Scott Docterman, our Iowa writer. Uh, so, the Athletic on Monday. Uh, we ran our preseason All-American team. The whole staff voted on it or had, was able to nominate people. By the way, theathletic.com slash theaudible. Go there for a discounted subscription to The Athletic. If you haven't subscribed yet, great opportunity. We have so much season preview content. So, Brees Hall, first team running back. Charlie Kohler, first team tight end. You're missing a defensive player too. You're missing Mike Rose. Mike Rose is a linebacker, first team All American. They also have a fourth player. It's Greg Eisworth, who is a safety who actually started his career off at Ole Miss. I mean, I don't. To be clear, Iowa State is talented. Uh, Certainly, way more talented than they've ever been, and they have those high end. They're not just high end players. They're very, uh, very experienced players. I believe Greg Eisworth is like a is a sixth year senior who came back and is, like you said, a second-team All-American caliber player. Um, what should we make of that? National champions? No, but should we make that this is a team that is a legit playoff team caliber? Um, they were, so I didn't really get into too much on them. They were preseason number seven. They were coming off preseason, uh, finishing number nine last year. So seeing all the star power that Matt Campbell has, just give you any any more pause that maybe you're underrating the Cyclones still. You're, you're so convinced that I'm underrating them, and yet I f- have said many times if they, they've, they've been very even with Oklahoma the past few years. It's not like Oklahoma has dominated them or vice versa. If they can beat Oklahoma and win the Big 12, I think they have a very good chance of going to the playoff. Probably that... You know, I mentioned earlier how high I am on Iowa. That game, that Iowa State-Iowa game this year, will be... I, I can't imagine there's ever been a game between those two where the two teams will both be ranked as high as they will. Hmm. I know that because Iowa State has never started yeah. in the preseason top 10. So, uh, you know, that could, that could make or break it, right? Iowa State wins the Big 12, but has lost that game and is thus... If Iowa State wins that game, will you then say, yes, I believe Iowa can win a playoff game? 
Yeah, that's what it gets down to. You, you, it's not enough for me to say I think they can make the playoff. You want me to say I think they can win a playoff game? That they game. can win. I'm not saying you're predicting that they're going to win. Uh, I'm still still going to say no. Man. And it's what not... Did, what did Matt Campbell ever do to you? It's really not... Better yet, I'm what not, did Max Olsen ever do to you? Let me let me pull up a quick stat for you. No, I don't want to hear quick stats. I just... Just the playoff, Bruce, the playoff has been in existence since 2014, okay? For seven, seven years of playoffs. Mm-hmm. Now, you just read off the AP Top 25, where the top five teams are Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia. Seven years, so that's, so that's 14 berths in the national championship game. How many of them have come from outside of those five schools? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If before 2020 happened, or 2019 happened, would you have picked Joe Burrow and Ed Ogeron to win the national title? No, so you're saying... Win a playoff game? So you're saying Iowa State's going to be this year's LSU? No, I'm saying saying it's not like crazier stuff has happened. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, so 14 births, the answer is two. Oregon in 2014 and LSU in 2019 are the only times that somebody outside of those top five have made the national championship so i'm not like dogging iowa state and matt campbell i'm saying no you're saying they have no chance to win though you're not you're saying they have no chance i'm saying you should say yes i think i give them a chance there's always i'm saying you have no there you're just saying there is no chance there's always a chance there's always a chance it just might be like a one percent chance or a two percent chance just all I'm saying is, if we ever have an off, another offside again, just watch out. Max might uh, take a swing at you. <laughs> Anything else? Any, uh, you know, we were just one vote. Anybody on that preseason All-American team you think shouldn't be there or somebody who was left off that you think is a total injustice? Uh, that shouldn't be there. Let me take a look. I don't want to snub somebody in terms of... Uh, I would I had, would have had Kyron Williams on my first team All-American. He's the best all-around running back in college football. Um, he would definitely have been one of mine. Um, and then after that, also, uh, I'm partial to Ike Iquanu. He's the guy I did that big story on coming out of the draft, who all the pro scouts I talked to kept raving about him, and all the coaches were like, you know the NC State guy, this the NC State guy that he's definitely on the radar as like a special player. Um, so those would be two on the offensive side of the ball. I think who I would think would have been higher. Um, I don't know if I, I would say anybody on the defensive side of the ball. I, I had Nick Benito um, and Drake Jackson were on my ballot as first team guys, but I I don't feel as strongly about them as I do a, as I did about Icky and uh, Kyron Williams. What about yeah, you? that that first team defense is pretty stacked. I think. Did you see in Aaron Suttles? I don't know if you saw his Alabama scrimmage uh, recap. Apparently, Will Anderson, who we have as a first team linebacker, pass rusher, has, is so dominant that they have to take him off the field in practice sometimes, so that the offense can actually get something done. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that should be the best linebacking crew in the country when you add. Henry Tuoto into the into that mix already. I mean, they're just loaded there. And look, I mean, that's the it's it's interesting just in that their preseason number one, they weren't even a hesitation. If I'm not mistaken, they only have two first team All Americans, Will Anderson and Evan Neal. 
Yeah, it's just 13 years of reloading uh, that, that gives you the benefit of the doubt on Alabama. I agree. I think I think B. John Robinson will be fantastic, but we may be getting a little ahead of ourselves to have him already as a first-team All-American running back. Who's the other first-team All-American running back? Brees Hall. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. And then, and then, you know, we have Chris Olave and Drake London as the two receivers, but the funny thing is, I think you could make a case that the two best receivers are on the same team. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who's on our second team. Yeah, look, the, the, I think the interesting part of that, too, is they're going to be catching passes from a first-time starting quarterback, too. So not to say that they won't have really big years, but um, no doubt what they've what Ohio State's receiver room has become. Um, Brian Hartline done an amazing job there, and they're more than just those two guys now, too. So again, if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, I've already plugged. We, we broke the story about the alliance on Friday. Andy's story Monday morning, God bless him for pouring over five years of TV ratings for that one. That helps explain why an alliance might make sense. The preseason All-American team, Aaron Suttles' Alabama coverage, Justin Williams, our Cincinnati writer, went to a intense workout class with Luke Fickle's wife to get a window into that. Um, Theathletics.com slash the audible. For a discounted subscription. All right, before we before we go, um, I feel like there was a lot more buzz about the NFL preseason games this past weekend than there usually is about NFL preseason games because everybody wanted to see Justin Fields for the first time, Trevor Lawrence for the first time, um, right on down the list, uh, Trey Lance for the 49ers. What stood, I know, like I, I just saw so much Twitter reaction to just one pass, Trevor Lawrence's deep ball or uh, Justin Fields. Through, well, it's actually was, Trey Lance's first pass goes like as an, you know, as a long, long touchdown play. I, I watched, um, I watched most of the Jaguars game and wasn't exactly the greatest debut for Urban. Um, I think at one point they were down, it was like 23 to six or so. And then late in the game, um, I thought the Justin Fields really gave the the Bears a spark. You'd look at him and say, "Man, it's him or Andy Dalton." If you're the Bears, do you just kind of? I, I think the 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 calculus on this is: Are people of the mind that if you play a guy maybe a little before he's ready, assuming he has a, a decent offensive line where he's not going to take a pounding, do you do you are the negative effects of playing and getting banged up? Um, outweigh the take your lumps and at least you get some reps in the middle of it and is that better for the long term hope of the quarterback right and to me you know you, you already know what Andy Dalton is he's probably not taking you to the he's not going to take you to the Super Bowl anytime soon you know whereas and I'm not saying Justin Fields is going to take him to the Super Bowl next year but I just think that his one is the most intriguing to me you know, because he fell, I think you and I both think he's super talented. Um, and he definitely, like that franchise, you have a, a big franchise and a big market that I feel like is just waiting for somebody special to come in there. He might be that guy. I think he is. And, and happy for Bears fans who've had nothing to be excited about for so long. Once LeBron James live tweeted Justin Fields' uh, preseason game, I felt like, okay, how, you can't not start the guy. We're going to do mailbag questions next week, so please send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Believe it or not, next week is game week. 
Week zero will be upon us. Nebraska, Illinois week, UCLA, Hawaii week. We'll be here when we do our podcast next week. Can't wait. Cannot wait. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.